We continue on in Isaiah 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And so as I've been reminding you each week, we're in a section of Isaiah that's especially focused on the coming uh, Assyrian assault on, on Israel and on Judah. And uh, people have allied themselves with foreign powers, which God would not have. And so he is punishing the people by sending them. But at this point in this section, which goes from chapter 7 all the way here to chapter 12, uh, at this point you have some words of hope. And uh, here in chapter 12, we've kind of reached the climax. If you think of Isaiah as being broken up into different chapters that are, are different than the ones the, uh, the people who actually came up with the chapter numbers came up with, <laughs> you can imagine this as being chapter 7 through 12 being chapter 2 of like a, a good size chapter. And this is the climax of, of chapter 2 right here what we'll be looking at. So if you'll go ahead and uh, stand for the reading of God's word, we'll begin. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is he, the Holy One of Israel. You may be seated. God, I ask that you would bless the proclamation of your word this day. We thank you for the word we heard earlier, and we thank you for this passage here. I pray that you would uphold me and that you would open the ears of the hearers in the congregation, that they might see the goodness of you and of your salvation, of your son and his spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So beginning with a question, I'd like to ask you, what is your song? What is your song? Now, what I'm asking is not what is your favorite song or what is your theme song? Uh, when I was, um, I used to be involved in Campus Crusade, and whenever one of the regular staff would come up, they would always have a theme song for them, so you know whenever this guy came up, they would always hit play his particular song. It's not what I'm asking. What is your, what is your source of strength, your source of joy? What is your song? And this is, uh, this is a phrase that people still use, you know, people talk about their husband being their song or their children being their song, you know, it's their reason for getting up in the morning. So what is your song? Is it, is it a hobby? Is it family like that? And then after you've answered that question, uh, what does your song sound like if you were to imagine it as a real song? Would it be a loud song, a quiet song? Would it, have a, would it be in a major key? Would it be in a minor key? Be really quiet? Would it be perhaps no song at all? In this passage... Isaiah declares that God is his song, and that God is the song of all who have trusted in him. And this song is not in a minor key. It is in a major key. It is a loud song. It's a happy song. It is a, it is a strengthening song. And this is declaration. And this is, a, this is a song that we ought to be singing in our hearts, and we ought to be calling others to sing with us. 
So as we, as we go through, I want us to see that God is salvation to all who trust in him, and that this needs to be our song, both inwardly and outwardly. Both inwardly and outwardly. He begins in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. God was angry with his people. God was quite angry with them, as I mentioned before. They had allied themselves with foreign powers. They had decided to not trust in the Lord and to instead trust Syria, trust Assyria, trust all these different foreign powers. Uh, this is used by the Holy Spirit who wrote these scriptures essentially as an analogy for any kind of trust in something other than the Lord. When you trust in yourself, you're not trusting in the Lord. You might as well be trusting in a foreign power. You yourself are not a nation that goes and makes alliances with other nations, but you make alliances with worldly forces all the time. And one who makes alliances with, with uh, worldly forces and does not, and that person abandons the Lord. We must have the Lord only as our hope. And those who, those who have abandoned the Lord, he is angry with them. Those who have made alliances with other things, he has a great wrath against them. You wonder why, uh, why is it that so many people hate the Lord? Why is it that so many, so many, uh, even literal songs in the world are full of, full of death and anger? The reason is because God is against them. They are not, they are not allied with God, and so in being allied with the world, they are against him, and the only song that one has to sing is a dirge. A dirge being a song that you would sing on the way to a funeral. This is the song of all those who do not trust in the Lord, is one of death. We are all doomed to die, and there will be no glorious resurrection for those who trust in themselves and do not trust in the Lord. But you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for your anger turned away so that you might comfort me. Those who trust in the Lord, his anger has turned away. And we know, uh, we have been talking in the previous weeks about when this is. He begins, you will say, in that day. What is that day? Look at verse 10 of chapter 11. In that day, the root of Jesse. Verse 11 of chapter 11. In that day, the Lord will extend. We spoke about this. When does the root of Jesse arise and as a signal call the people to himself? That is when Jesus Christ on the cross is a beacon for many nations to come to him. That is when that day is. In that day, people will no longer ally themselves with worldly things. They will come to the Lord. If you have trusted in the Lord, this is a picture of your life that you have turned from worldly things and you come to trust in him alone, to trust in that signal that has been raised up, the root of Jesse, Jesse's son David and his son far after him, Jesus Christ. And for those who have not trusted in the Lord, this is precisely what they do not have. They do not have a reason to thank the Lord because he is still angry with them. He has not turned to comfort them. But God is merciful and good. And so while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
you know, it's interesting here. It says, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. His anger turned away so that he could comfort us. There's a lot going on here in Isaiah. He is angry because he must be angry, because he is holy. If he is holy, he cannot allow sin to stand. He must be angry at it. Yet at the same time, he cares for his own people. And so how can he comfort them if he is still angry with them? He answers the issue of his own wrath by sending his son to bear that wrath so that he is still a holy God. He is still just. His wrath is poured out on his son. And thus, Father, Son, and Spirit comfort, are able to comfort the people, their people. Now, in order that, in order that they may comfort, in order that you may comfort me, what I, what I would like to stress, and I, I say this often, so hopefully uh, this is not new to you, but the cross accomplished so much more than forgiveness. The cross uh, was not uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, that whole, that whole picture. Jesus did not uh, go through this perfect life, die, be resurrected again, just so that we might have forgiveness. But that forgiveness is just stage one in that process of comforting us. His anger turned away, that's forgiveness, so that he might comfort us. Uh, God has much planned for his people instead of mere forgiveness. Imagine if, uh, imagine if you were in, uh, you know, up to your eyeballs in debt and you had to declare bankruptcy and someone came and paid your debt. And so now that's great. Your debt is gone, uh, but you have absolutely zero. You have, you have zero wealth. You just have the clothes on your back. How would you be able to come up out of that? Now, assuming you don't have any friends or any network of support, there's no way you can get a uh, a, a job in that condition that you're in without, you know, being able to shower, have clothes, etc. Uh, you just have no hope. God is doing more than just putting us back at, at zero. He has great comfort, a great salvation that goes beyond mere forgiveness. And so that salvation must be our song. It must be our song. Verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. God has become my salvation. Uh, God, like I said, is judgment on all those who uh, do not trust in him. For those who trust in him, he is instead salvation to them. Uh, Paul captures this in 2 Corinthians when he says that uh, that the gospel is a fragrance of life to those who believe it, and it's a fragrance to, of death to those who do not believe it. You wonder why there's such a, a visceral negative reaction to, to good news. Uh, the answer is because it is, it is not good news to those who trust in him, because salvation comes through uh, judgment of the world. In fact, uh, you know, the, this whole next section of Isaiah, you know, I, I said we're kind of closing up the second major section of Isaiah. The next section we're going to go into is going to talk about how God provides that salvation, but it's going to talk about it only in terms of judgment, that he's going to be judging the nations. You're going to have the oracles of all the different nations, uh, Babylon, Assyria, etc. And 
uh, this is once again a picture of salvation, but, but not one of, uh, but not focusing on it being life to those who trust in him, but focusing on it being death to those who do not. Lord God is my strength, my song. God, if you, if you have put your trust in him, he is your source of endurance. Uh, he is the means by which you can continue on. He is your reason for getting up in the morning. He, uh, he will hold you up through every sorrow, through every, um, through every persecution, through every affliction. And he can be your song. He can be your joy. I would like you to uh, consider this phrase. Is, is, it, is it memorable? Hopefully it is, because we just read it when I read uh, Psalm 118. <laughs> For the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That was there in uh, Psalm 118. But that's not the first time this was used, and Isaiah is not, also not the first time this phrase is used. Uh, this comes from Exodus 15. I'd like you to go ahead and turn there if you could. Okay, Exodus 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is the song of Moses. That's where that phrase comes from. Now, if you were here last week, I'm hoping that maybe you might be connecting a few dots. If you remember, the focus last week was on a second exodus, that Isaiah is prophesying that God will again save the people. Uh, and he pictured them as coming over the river Euphrates and over the Nile, just as they went over the Red Sea. And all the nations of the earth gathering to him. And here we have a continuation of that picture because what happens? What is it that happens after God saves the people? They sing the song. They are filled with joy and it is the reason for living, the reason for everything. And this is why there's a preface to the Ten Commandments. You know, that's the catechism goes through all the different Ten Commandments and it makes sure to include the preface because the preface is so important. So, I am the Lord you got, your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That is the, that is the strength to to obey the Ten Commandments. That is the strength to do it with joy in your heart. God is a, is a glorious song to those who have been saved by him. To those uh, Israelites who came out of the Red Sea, who saw a horse and rider thrown into the sea, they had no help, hope apart from God. And with him, they had a glorious future, a wonderful song to sing in their hearts and out loud. Isaiah continues on in verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. When you think of water in a well of salvation, what my mind first goes to is John 4, where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, tells her that he has the, the living water so that she would never be thirsty. That's the, that's the water that this is talking about. It is that well of salvation. 
I think a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, you know, are very dry and without joy. Why is that? It is a lack of drawing water from this well of salvation. You know, the more we, the more we enjoy Jesus Christ through the means he has given us, the more we have that living water, this water that keeps us from being thirsty. I think many people are like a, a, a foolish man sitting beside a well, dying of thirst, who doesn't just dip into the well. <laughs> uh, Jesus is full of mercy. He is full of love and compassion and grace and truth. There is so much to be had from drawing from those wells of salvation. If you find yourself dry and lacking joy, ask yourself whether or not you're taking advantage of the, of the means God has given you, of, of the word he's given you, of the access to the Father he's given you through prayer. He is accessible. He is available. He is our strength and song. And consider, uh, yeah, just, just consider again how, how uh, lacking in, in joy the world is. And this is an opportunity we have to have uh, a great joy, a joy that even the world will see. And we see that in verse 4. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. So this, this song is not just something that, that sits in our hearts and is isolated, but it is instead something that overflows so that God's people call out. And there's, there's something else that's going on here too that I want to call your attention to. And I think your ESV should, um, should footnote this even. But in verse 1, it's a little interesting because it says, uh, you will say in that day, and the you is singular. You can't see that in English. But I think even if you were looking at a King James Bible, you'd be able to see that there's a difference in the kind of, you know, these and thous that are used. But um, you, singular, will say in that day. So there's kind of this poetic way that Isaiah is escalating the, the level of joy that's going on. You know, it's, you know, if I were a uh, more confident and charismatic speaker, you know, I might like run over here and tell one person, you know, God is your salvation. And, you know, if this mic worked at that range. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, come back and say, God is your salvation, you know, to, to all of you, right? There's a poetic way that, that Isaiah is illustrating this truth to us and describing, you know, this uh, bursting forward from one man in himself to all the people sharing it with others. So now that this, now that they have the water from the well of salvation, it is overflowing from themselves to others. And so they call others, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. This is a call to worship. You know, we begin every service with a call to worship and we, we read from the scriptures, and we, we call people to worship the Lord. Now, we call particularly those who can hear, who are, who are already present to worship the Lord, but it is a call to the whole, all the nations to come worship the Lord. He is good. He is merciful to all who trust in him. He has provided a great sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And that, that uh, overflow is... Uh, that is part of this picture of strength. You know, if you, if you find yourself uh, lacking, you know, lacking enough uh, joy and love to accommodate others, um, 
you know, for example, you're a parent, you've got kids to deal with, you've got a spouse to deal with, you have to just give, 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 love, love, love. Where are you going to get all that love to, to give? <laughs> you, uh, as a finite person, probably don't have enough. You need love that's overflowing from a God who has an infinite store so that you could overflow and share with others. And this joy, of course, it's not just to share with a family, but to share with the world. This kind of a theme that's been coming up in the, in the previous passages. And something I've been pointing to is that, you know, if uh, as you think about your interaction with the world and uh, your desire to evangelize, your desire to share the good news, think about how good the good news is to you and how much joy do you have in it. And that will probably explain your participation in evangelism. If you, uh, yeah, if you uh, lack a heart that desires to, to share with others, th- then it is because the degree to which you have drawn water from that salvation is limited. And God has, has designed salvation in such a way that though, though he saves us, though he gives us living water, from the moment we are born again, he desires us to continue coming back to these living waters, to rely on him throughout this life until we are finally with him. In body. Verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Now, I suppose it's not certain, but I think it here at this point the speaker has changed. So in verse 4, it said, and you will say in this day, so he's telling Israel, they will call to the world. And now I believe Isaiah himself is speaking. I believe the reason he's to say that is because in verse 6, when, when he's addressing, O inhabitant of Zion, I think he's going back to that singular you at the beginning of this passage. And so this is, he's saying, you will call people to salvation in that day. And right now I am, I am calling uh, people to come praise the Lord. Notice also here, this says, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Uh, God's presence is very important here in this passage. You know, this Holy One of Israel being this phrase that Isaiah uses frequently to, to emphasize God's holiness. This Holy One that is destruction to all his enemies is a salvation to those who can dwell with him in peace, who have been granted the... Uh, the means by which to dwell with him in peace. And if you remember the start of the section of Isaiah in chapter 7, that was where the prophecy of Emmanuel was given, God with us. And that came up again and again in chapters 8 and 9. You have, uh, you have repeated statements of God coming to dwell with the people, the prophecy that God will come and dwell with the people. And so, I don't think this is one that is often read around uh, Christmas time, like, uh, like Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9, but this is appealing back to the same promise. This is appealing back to that promise that God would dwell with his people. And in this whole section where I have statements about uh, the root of Jesse standing as a signal, when it talks about God dwelling in your midst, it is talking about the presence of Jesus Christ. 
He has come. He dwelt with his people. He provided salvation. And because of that, we have reason to sing. And in dying on the cross and providing salvation for the elect, he has come and dwelt in us by his spirit. And we have his presence now. We have his presence. He is with us individually. He is with us corporately. And we have much, much, much reason to sing. There is a world watching us. You know, right, right before uh, I walked out here, I looked up a statistic on, on depression just to see, you know, what it says. It says that uh, in the U.S., 7% of people have major depressive disorders. I, I don't know what exactly is entailed in that number, but I probably don't even have to tell you a statistic to let you know that it is a major problem that exists today. And with the, uh, with the state of the world and the way technology tends to isolate people, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of depression. There's a lot of, of uh, lack of joy and people distract themselves for a little while, but they don't find joy. And and uh, of course, that is all exacerbated in, uh, I say of course, I, I believe it's exacerbated in affluent areas and I don't have a statistic to hand you, but, but hopefully that resonates with you, that uh, in affluent areas, that's um, especially exacerbated. And we live in a very, very affluent area. Think about how much of, of this your testimony is, what your song is, what your joy is, what is your song, what do people hear when you go by? What song is playing? And if it is a joy that they don't know, that they don't experience, that despite affliction, despite the sorrows that you have and encounter, that you have an overwhelming joy because God has taken you across the Nile and across the Euphrates back to Jerusalem, think about how much of a wonderful testimony that is to those who watch. Think about your children as they, as they are raised up in your home, what they will remember of your home. There's a lot they're going to forget, but they will remember your song. It will play in their ears. They will know what your song was. And was it a marvelous joy in the salvation that your God provided through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? And I pray that it will be, and I pray that anyone who, who listens to this message and does not have that joy will find it through trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us a, a beautiful song in Jesus Christ, and I pray that he would be our song, that he would be our salvation and our strength. God, I pray, we thank you for your mercies, and uh, we pray that you would help us to sing this song loudly so that the earth might hear it far, far reaches of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.